friends. Welcome to episode 123 of Storyteller Conclave. It's a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. And I have a full glass of wine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Rob. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one, one behind the empty glass of wine, huh? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think, I think, I think I'm one ahead tonight, so. Yeah, right. I'm not saying like I needed this, but we had a good dinner and it tasted really good. And I'm like, nobody else is really drinking this white and I can't let it go to waste. Yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely. So 123. 123. Yeah. It's, that number keeps ticking up and I'm always amazed by it. Yeah. Every time it does. Yeah. So. So part of it is like, are we really doing this? Mm-hmm. Is, is this just us keeping track of our conversations? Kind of, yeah. I think that's the... uh, our, our therapy log. I'm going to bill you, actually, at the end of this. When we hit 200, you're just going to get a big fat bill from me. I thought it works the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, just uh, uh, come visit our website, check out our Instagram, go to our Facebook page, like some things. We love it. It's actually helped us out. Funny enough, we have listeners, and I'd like to say thank you mm-hmm. uh, to you in Australia and Ireland. Uh, we, we got a big uptick in both of those areas. So thank you for listening in in those areas, and we would love for you to join the Discord and submit questions and and join us, please. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, don't for, don't forget to uh, also throw us uh, throw us a review on your uh, your podcasting. Uh, oh, please, yeah. Too, like uh, app podcast and so that you yeah. know throw, throw us a quick five star. It really helps us out in the algorithm. Spotify is the other one. We've got tons of people listening to us on Spotify. So if you mm-hmm. if you subscribe to us on Spotify, uh, I think you can uh, rate it on there as well. Yeah. So please throw us a rating. Do something because uh, the more people who do that the more movement we get and more mm-hmm. people get to hear us so mm-hmm. that'd be fun we'd love that we'd love to grow the community so uh so you had your uh uh your dnd game i did and i did some neat stuff in it that i didn't normally do and i think it worked pretty darn well um so uh i was coming up to um last week mm-hmm. and i had done a lot of pre-writing which was great and I, I apologize by the way my neighbor decided he was going to mow right now so oh, hearing there's, that in the background i don't know, I don't know if you're gonna hear it or not but yeah really uh, if he gets close you might hear it uh anywho um so uh, i was uh coming out uh at the beginning of august and i i got all my writing done i knew where the direction of the game was and i decided to write light mm-hmm. I, I did it you know it was this is kind of the wrap up to the act and i kind of just wanted to have a little a, a little final piece that kind of gave you guys direction mm-hmm. and and kind of put things in perspective um so you were you had just finished up the gate uh, and and destroying it and and destroying a few other ideas that I had with that, which was great. I think it worked out fantastically. Uh, we got to see an actual use last not this past session but the one before of uh, divine intervention, divinely interventing. Uh-huh. It was incredible with someone rolling a one, which means it happened, mm-hmm. which is incredible. Yeah, so roll, roll under your character level at this point was ten, and they rolled a one. And, and it was fantastic. One, yep. So we, uh, uh, so that happened, uh, which brought back a, uh, a key NPC uh, a lot earlier than I expected, mm-hmm. which is fine. Uh, and uh, so we'll, 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 there'll be some changes that are going to come from that and already have. Sure. Um, but uh, you guys were going to uh, the Orcs Garrison and Prison, uh, which is attached to uh, their mountain range. Uh, and and dealing with some stuff going on there, and I kind of had wanted to do an actual physical setup for this uh, to give you guys a, a little bit of tactical stuff, but as it came down to the wire, I was like, I really don't have a good way of displaying this. So I went ahead and used Dungeon Draft um, mm-hmm. to, to draw it all up, and then 
had it printed. At, yeah. At Kinko's, yeah. of all things, the FedEx Kinko's location. Just a big poster-sized map. Yeah, yeah, for like 18 bucks, I ended up with a perfect map that was grid-perfect and forgot that I still had all the skills to figure out how to do that uh-huh. in, in, in a single shot. Uh, and the only problem that I had was some, some lighting on it, but uh, the funny enough people at Kinko's were just like, yeah, um, I want to talk to you about your poster, everything outside the stables on the garrison. And I'm like, that is very thoughtful that you actually read the file name and can look at the map and tell me what those things are. Oh, uh, nice. I, clearly, I did a good job. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so it, it did work out. And I think it looked good for you guys mm-hmm. and gave you a good uh, uh, a good feeling for it. Yeah. And uh, it, was, it was super easy, like barely inconvenience. But I think uh, some of the stuff that I really enjoyed about that was I grabbed an idea from one of our listeners, actually, mm-hmm. um, and instituted using a visual method for... Uh, uh, our initiative. Uh, initiative. Thank Keep you. Checking the initiative. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I made little tent cards out of three by pieces of three by five card. Yeah, with uh, initials for everybody and for the bad guys. And you hung them over the edge of your DM screen. Yep. And did a start and an end. So you guys knew exactly the order, and yep. we just shuffled through them. And honestly, it was one of the greatest visual tools I've had for oh, a was. while. It's it very great. simply done. Um, it's one of those things I always I always mean to do, and, and then just I don't like yeah. it, the moment we roll initiative. Then I'm like, oh shoot, I should have done the thing. And the second thing I did was another thing uh, that I had read about uh, people doing, and had never really done it myself. And that was give control of tracking the NPC's health and AC to a player. I actually gave it to you. That was stressful. Uh, I understand, but at the same time. <laughs> At no point did you not know the health of what was going That's around. That's true. That's true. You could easily... And that makes sense because you're in the combat. You can see how bloody they are. Yeah. It isn't just a a blob that is sucking up all the damage until it turns into ooze on the floor, you know? Um and that's the difference there, is that it gave you guys a little bit of control there. It took it out of my purview so I could focus on the combat as a whole and really get a feel for what was going on and make sure that I had the beats that I wanted to have occur yeah, within yeah. the combat, regardless of what your guys' actions were. You know, this, this is kind of, a, kind of a side conversation, too, but um, uh, as I've been kind of delving into uh, Savage Worlds and, like, listening to podcasts and stuff that mm-hmm. regarding how to run that game and whatnot, um, more and more I'm, I'm hearing the idea of, like, DM screens are actually damaging to the player-DM relationship, mm-hmm. and uh, you should just do away with them. Just roll out in the open. Like, there's nothing... Other than keeping some notes to yourself about, like, where the plot's going and stuff like that, there's no reason you need to hide anything behind a DM screen. It's a relic of the adversarial DM-player yep. relationship. I completely agree with that. The only thing I do like about my DM screen is it literally has all the tools I need in front oh, of me. Oh, oh. <laughs> there, there's a big difference between vertical che- vertical cheat sheet yeah. and DM screen. Like, Which, you're not using it to hide things. You're no. using it because it has a bunch of calculations on yep, it for you. Yep, and it makes it totally... And I yep. always roll in my basket, which is right next to Vicky anyway, so... And, and even converting over to Savage Worlds, I will still continue to use the Savage world's dm screen because like you said it's got a bunch of charts and stuff like that on the cheat sheets on the back of it so but not because i feel like i need to hide anything from you you yeah yeah um but yeah no well good i mean and it was from a from player perspective it was very it was it was a satisfying game Mm -hmm. it was was a bit short but like that that's that's a complaint you love to hear as a storyteller of like why is DD ending already i would like more please you know and and that's what i wanted to get to is i wanted to get to either a good place to pause yeah without pushing and making everybody tired and exhausted yeah. and keep the energy going help that desire for more right 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 so, right yeah yep yeah, absolutely yep, yep. absolutely 
All right, so we uh, we do have a, a main topic today. You want to get on that? Yeah. So uh, this is our our third Wednesday of the month. Second, second Wednesday. Second Wednesday. Wednesday. I was lose track. Always of... a system spotlight like, for us. So we're doing SCP: Secure, Contain, and Protect the RPG. Yeah. Uh, no, this was one that actually just came out um, very recently. Uh, August, right? Uh, yeah. Beginning well, August. It, no, it was, it was July. I want to say. Okay. Uh, because it was, uh, I, I, that's right. You had no it. June, June, June. It came out in June because I was, I was able to order it before Sean's birthday. Yep. Uh, and his birthday is in July. So, um, and I'd order it as a as a birthday present for him because yep. he is a huge fan of SCP. Now, SCP itself is kind of an interesting story. Yeah. Uh, so SCP actually kind of started out. Um, it's it's become kind of a cultural phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, it started out as a uh, just a post on the paranormal forum of 4chan. Yes, somebody this... had found some weird picture of this like art project thing. It was this weird, creepy doll with these weird colors on it, mm-hmm. and um, so somebody posted that picture. Mm-hmm. And wrote this like pseudo scientific document. It was all redacted and you know it, like creepy things of like it the the secure containment procedure mm-hmm. SCP for this particular thing that mm-hmm. he turned into this weird creepy pasta. Yeah, and he called it SCP one seven three, and. Uh, that was back in like 2007. So mm-hmm. it kind of started very much like Slender Man. I, you know, it just it started off as this online creepypasta, and mm-hmm. then somebody kind of grabbed that and was like, "That's a cool idea. I'm going to expand off of it." And made another one. And made another one, and pretty soon you had this um, uh, this wiki basically put together where mm-hmm. people were starting to consolidate and put these things, and then submit new ones yep. to this wiki, and it just became the home of this essentially collaborative writing project. Yeah. So what makes an SCP an SCP is it's not just um, horror writing, and right. it's it's not all horror. Honestly. No, it's definitely not all horror. Um, there are there are some really honestly like funny ones. There are some really cute ones. Mm-hmm. Um, those I would say are the exception, not the rule. Yeah, it's, it's mostly horror. Yeah, someone someone wrote one based upon the piece of art where the teddy bear is defending the kid at bed. Yeah, from a monster. Yeah, and it's about the sword the teddy bear has. Oh. And I thought that was really cute, That's but it's cute, yeah. but it's like it, it, it's a just a wooden sword that you you wouldn't think anything about. But if you place it near a toy, the toy becomes alive and will defend it from any intruder in, that is near a child. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, and it's it's just a neat little little thing. But again, written in a very scientific perspective. Mm-hmm. So uh, and so these all these SCPs are basically like they're they're written up as if they were the safety documents for these weird things. Mm-hmm. Um. The the secure containment procedures. Yep. It it like it doesn't even talk about the object at first. It just talks about like this thing must be stored in these conditions in a, in a darkened room, no bigger than four meters square, with no cameras on the inside. Uh, no um, personnel are to interact with it directly. Yep. Levels D, C, and D are the only ones allowed to access the space in case of this can in case a condition com- redacted or this condition redacted or fire exactly you know? <laughs> if, if anyone comes into contact with it they are to be you know transferred off base um you know for for no fewer than four months yeah. if they display redacted symptoms have them eliminated <laughs> immediately yeah um 
and and then they they talk a little bit about experiments that they've run on it, but like very rarely is it ever described in like a story way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's always this cold, clinical, and man, there's some chilling stuff up there. Yeah, yeah, and and it's because it's so clinical, you're not even sure where it came from or how they came into possession with it. Sometimes, right? Because there's no, there may no be no prior story. Now, no, but that's the other interesting part is that this project, I mean, this has been going since like 2007, 2008, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So obviously there's there's like 12, 13 years worth of worth of additions to this thing. And it's grown I think they said when I was up there, they're in six, they're in like uh, uh, series six of it now. And I thought that was pretty cool, like that they they series it out because there's just so much content. And I think each series has like two or four thousand yeah. things in them, so I mean, yeah. you get the, the the breadth and scope of it. But there's been um, kind of an emergent metaverse mm-hmm. that's kind of come out of it, and that's I think what kind of leads us into the role playing game is that um, obviously as people are writing about these containment procedures and stuff like that, you kind of get a um, a meta story about the, 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 the SCP foundation in and of itself. Right. Is this, um, like, a, a super governmental agency that, like, answers to no one, very men in black style, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, polices the entire world to basically try to keep these things out of the hands of normal mortal people, or especially other organizations that may want to use them for their own purposes. Right. Um, and if they can't be contained... Uh, in like the traditional sense of like I brought it home and locked it up, right? Um, because some of these things are like extra dimensional rifts that exist, in, you know, in thirty acre, you know, mm-hmm. you know, blocking those things off and making sure that like you have a tidy little area fifty one sort of thing around it that you know no satellites can see into, right, no right. people can get into. But then, of course, you've got this other meta narrative that's kind of emerged about well, what other organizations, right? You know, and so some of the documents say things like, oh, yeah, we reclaimed this from agents of the, you know, whatever organization. The, it was a church, church of the Broken God. Yeah, Church of the Broken... Yeah, exactly. And you're Who like... the hell is that? Yeah. And then all of a sudden people read that and they get inspired by it. And now other articles start popping up about Church of the Broken God yep. and things relating to them. And then that sprouts a meta narrative. Mm-hmm. And it's this cool collaborative storytelling universe about this dark... Um, you know, a uh, pseudo intelligence network protecting humanity from these strange things and like verging to alternate timelines and alternate realities and stuff like that. It gets real deep that that rabbit hole goes real deep. Yeah. And and but it's it's I think that's what gets me kind of interested in it is mm-hmm. because it's emergent. It's a it's not just chaos. There's there's some kind of community elements because of the simplicity of the design mm-hmm. and that things aren't necessarily hard canon that like there's no one saying well you can't use this the, the you know this level of person with this level of security to contain this type of a thing mm-hmm. like that's that's not there because it's up to the design of the storyteller to grab these elements that they've heard about from other places and have kind of just latched on and attached them into their stories. Yeah, I mean, as far as I was, as far as I know, there's like an approval process, but, but I that's mean, it. other than that, yeah, there's no, there's no technical canon, right? You know, and I think for that, I mean, it's it's literally like you've got 
thousands of players around a table. It's thousands of players, yes, anding each other. Correct. And yeah. then only on occasion do they go, I don't, I don't think you, I think you're missing the feel of, of your story. Yeah. Can we suggest this? Yeah. You know, and that's it. Simple as that. Can, can you phrase it like this? Yeah. And so, so it's it's branched off a bit from there too. Like it's mm-hmm. not just on the wiki anymore. Obviously, yeah. with thirteen years and, and and this much time and space to grow in popularity in the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got a novel series. Yeah. Um, that's out there. There's dozens of paperback books up on Amazon. Oh um, God, yeah. Uh, there's a three-part art book on Indiegogo. I didn't know about that one. Yep, yep. I just saw that. Uh, there's the Wanderer Library, which is the sister website mm-hmm. um, that's got more than just the scientific reports. That's got the more like the fiction in there. Mm-hmm. Like people mm-hmm. actually write stories, like novelizations. Sort yep, of yep. Stuff. And yeah. then there was a, uh, what was it, a stage play that was uh, that was put together in uh England. Mm-hmm. Uh the uh a welcome to the ethics committee was the was performed. And then uh the Glasgow New Music Expedition uh did a performed work of oh, SP- wow. SCP Foundation uh during the 10th annual Pug Festival. Oh, as well. So I mean it's it's branched in all kinds of directions. Yeah. There, there have been some short films. There's some really great short films up mm-hmm. on YouTube um, yep. with some really amazing pro- uh, production quality. Yeah. Um, you and I, I believe, um, in our tactical shooter uh, um, fandom. Yes. Um, are you familiar with Operator Drewski? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Drewski. Uh, so Drewski was in yes. one of these SCP yep. films. Yep, I remember that one, yeah. Uh, as as an as an extra, as a uh, as a Marine. Yeah. Um, and so uh, we we watched them all, and they were amazing, absolutely yeah. amazing. Um, so there's been some video games too. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was uh, Containment Breach, uh-huh. which is probably the most known one. I, yeah, it was, was based. In... It was based on the original One Seven Three. Yep. And because from... One Seven Three is very much like um uh, like the like the Weeping Angels from uh yeah, uh, it's got the blink thing yeah, going on. If you're looking at it, it can't move. Right. And so they baked that in. One person plays SCP One Seven Three, and mm-hmm. everybody else plays. It's an asymmetrical yeah. uh, horror game. Yep. Where everybody else plays uh, uh, Marines or researchers or whatever that are trying to get out of the facility. Yep. And so every time you turn your back on 173, he gets to move. Yep. And he moves fast. fast. And if he touches you, you die. Yep. So it's... Yep. And uh, it's it's at it's supposed to be at an SCP facility, mm-hmm. and it's I've I've seen it a couple times, Hence, like containment breach. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's funny at times. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of who the last person I saw play it. Um, but it was it was amusing to say the least. Um, you have was, Secret Laboratory, yeah, right? Secret Laboratory, yep. Uh huh. And then there were two that were based upon uh, SCP numbers. Okay. Uh, that I think are both in process. One is SCP-3008, which is a horror game, I think. Uh, and then you've got SCP-087, which is another one, but I think it's single player. I think one's multiplayer, one's single player. Okay, okay, okay. Um, and then I want to say there was Control. That's the other one, the, yeah. the most recent uh, in 2019. Control isn't an SCP game, but holy cow, Heavily you can influenced. really see the influence. In yeah, there. they they yeah. said that they looked at it and it was it was kind of like a um, game of love. Yeah, to an, it, an homage, like an ode, if you will. Definitely an homage. To yeah. It. Yeah. So, yeah. so if you're familiar with Control and you you're wondering what the feel of the SCP is is, that's it. Yeah, that's the organization. Uh huh. So, um. So I, I went looking for um, a writer who uh, describes what the feel of SCP is, and I found this thing um, 
on the wiki that I thought really did a good job, which is uh, Winston Cook Wilson, uh, who was writing for Inverse at the time, said, Like Lovecraft, SCP Foundation case files generally lack action sequences and are written in a pseudo-academic tone. Um, But... Uh, the SCP Foundation were strengthened by the tensions between their detached scientific tone and the unsettling, horrific nature of the story being told. Mm-hmm. So it's all very clinical. Clinically describing the dismemberment of a D-class personnel when the, when the, when the experiment went wrong. With yeah. heavy redactions. With heavy redactions. So. Where, you know, we, 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 remo- we recovered the body of the D-class personnel who exhibited redacted and redacted and his head was redacted. redacted. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So yeah, all right. Yeah. So that is what this that's game the is feel. That is what this game is based on, yes. and that's that's essentially the the universe into which this game tries to take us. That now, being said, that being said, we get into the mechanics, and I think there's just a moment where we both just need to sigh. Yeah. So reading through the mechanics of this game, I think both of us had the realization that we needed to figure out where the author of these mechanics was coming from mm-hmm. and because it felt like a a mix of mechanics uh to I me i don't know that if i mean it definitely feels like there's n- not a lot of flow to the mechanics like like s- coming from savage worlds or coming from like uh years worth of d20 yeah. you know be that 3.5 be mm-hmm. that 4 be that 5 uh D. Um, the mechanics were always very smooth in that everything revolved around a D20. Or a D10 most... or a D6. Right, right. Yeah. So most, most roles follow the exact same, like, you know, Basic mechanic, mechanic yeah. to it. Um, this kind of feels a little like, to me, like Savage Worlds meets Shadowrun. It's definitely heavily Shadowrun influenced. The more I looked into it, and mm-hmm. more, especially like we we'd found that um, interview with the uh, uh, with the creator of mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. Um, and he talked a lot about the Shadowrun influence behind it, and you can really see it. Like if you if you know Shadowrun, you can start looking at this, and and it's quite possible that like players of Shadowrun would adore this system. Yes, I, um, I, I think like. I, I know there are some listeners out there who love to play the crunch drinking game. They take a shot every time we say crunch. Prepare yourselves. Prepare yourselves. The you crunch are, is thick. You are going to I, lose I track have my, of your... I have my own wine glass right here. I expect to finish it yeah. and have to find the bottle. So. so crunch gamers, you're about to lose control of your extremities by about the 15-minute mark. And I'm going to straight up tell you at the 15-minute mark, we're probably going to pause mechanics at that point and get on with the rest <laughs> of the, the thing. So, all right. So, um, the basis of the mechanics is a roll and keep system. Simple as um, that. So, a little bit like Seventh C in that you're going to have a dice pool. Okay, you're going to be yes. grabbing multiple dice. Yes. Relating to the attribute which you're rolling. Mm-hmm. You're going to roll the. Um, you're going to choose four dice out of your dice pool, and your dice pool will be con- it will consist of d8s, d10s, and d12s. Yes. Um, you're going to grab four of those. Roll them. You're going to take the highest two values and add them together. Keeping in mind that dice can explode. Keeping in mind that dice can explode. So um, if your dice explode, though, uh, you don't roll them and add them to the base value. You just add more dice to your pool. 
If a D8 explodes, you add 2D10. If a D10 explodes, you add a D12. If a D12 explodes, you actually add a D20. Mm -hmm. Um, And you roll those as well. So it's not a guaranteed high number. It just gives you more dice into your dice pool, another opportunity to get an even higher number. Right. Because it also adds, adds the next highest die. Right. Um, and again, you, you'll just basically, however many explode, you just keep going until you get the two highest numbers and then add them together. Right. Um, typically you'll also add your, uh, uh, your proficiency value. Your proficiencies are basically skills. We'll talk about those in a moment. Yeah. Um, to it. So say you've got a two in firearms. I roll a combined 11. I now have a 13. And then this basically is just compared against the difficulty range. So... Six is something that's very easy. Eleven to fourteen is is in the average range. Eighteen to twenty four is almost impossible, and twenty five plus is like godlike. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's like I said, there's there's some modifiers to that. So your explosions are you know as we just listed, they add more dice to your pool of the next highest type. Um, if you roll a one, you set those to the side and subtract them at the end. Right. So if I rolled two ones as I was doing that, I would then subtract two. Mm-hmm. From my total at the end. And that includes your exploded dice. Yes. So you have to keep that in mind. Um, critical success and failure is basically just on thresholds. So if I roll twice the difficulty I needed, mm-hmm. I critically succeeded. If I roll under half the difficulty that I needed, I've I've critically failed. Yep. Um, and so that, I mean, sounds pretty okay. It's it's definitely more complex than a lot of games are. Yeah, but, I mean it's not the most complex I've heard. It's it's mostly just because like and, and this is you see, the, like the dice pool mechanics. You can really see the Shadowrun influence there. Very much so. Rolling dice, and if you roll those dice well enough, it gives you the opportunity to roll even more dice mm-hmm. to see where your total is. Right, right. You know? Which I mean, I guess if you want to enjoy dice, this game has dice. Yeah, yeah, yep. There is. Um. So then you go into character creation. So what what actually is a character in the SCP uh, game here? So you've got eight attributes. Um, strength, health, perception, dexterity, fate, which is basically your luck stat, mm-hmm. charisma, intelligence, and willpower. Yep. Um, now, each one of those attributes you're going to essentially purchase dice for. You yeah, don't a, have a... It's a point-by system. Yeah, well, yeah, and it's not it's it's a point by system, but like again, you don't have like a a numerical value. Like you're not going to have a ten strength, right? You're going to have a dice set a four d four two d ten in strength, right? Because that's what your dice pool is, right? Um, and it's kind of in a grid, mm-hmm. in that you need to purchase um two d eight before you can buy the d ten above it. Mm-hmm. And then you need to purchase the other 2d8 and the other d10. So you have 2d10 before you can purchase the d12 above it. Right. And all of these end up basically like filling in little boxes to mm-hmm. indicate what they are. Um, but it gives you the option to roll four of those dice of your choice. Exactly. Exactly. You don't have to just roll the top ones. You can roll other dice if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, technically, um, you've got a better chance of rolling an 8 and getting an exploding die if you roll a d8 than you do a d10. Right. By uh, about 4%, I think. Right. Um, but you can. Uh, and then as you're as you're purchasing these, uh, these dice at your dice pool, a lot of these boxes will have little markers in them indicating that they give you certain bonuses when mm-hmm. you purchase them. Yep. Um, so strength will modify your melee damage. Um, health straight up modifies your HP. Yeah. 
Uh, perception will modify your ranged attacks. Dexterity modifies your movement speed. Mm-hmm. Um, fate gives you reverence points, which we'll get to in a moment. Reverence, yeah. Uh, charisma is kind of your social interaction stat that doesn't modify much. Um, intelligence actually modifies the amount of skill points that you have. Yeah, and your initiative. And it modifies your initiative. Which I like. Um, willpower modifies your exertion points. Yeah. Um, and then that's, that's kind of the other thing too, is that there's a lot of like purchasable substats. Well, I mean, and that's, that, that kind of leads right into the proficiency system. Yeah. Which feels immense because they have knowledges and skills and abilities and again it's point by again Mm -hmm. so you're you have skills that have a numerical value but also include decimals which i think is odd well the the designer was noting that um he 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 saw in other game systems that uh in especially prolonged play you would have players that would just max their stuff out in like the fourth game mm-hmm. and like they, they go from zero to godhood in in the span of like a month worth of game time right you know? and he didn't want that to happen so uh <sighs> he implemented a very small incremental advancement system mm-hmm. so instead of going from like a one to two in handguns you go from a one to a 1.2 well and the other thing is is that at character creation you actually roll for your point mm-hmm so you you put points into it, but then you also get to roll a die, and that becomes the decimal value. Yes. So you you have a random factor that goes into how good at a skill you are. Yeah, and 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 one of the other things that I did like about it actually is that if you have zero in a skill, you can still attempt it. Correct. Right? And the first time you attempt a skill with zero in it, you roll a uh, as a d six, I think. Yeah. Um, and then if you're purchasing it with XP. You roll a D8 mm-hmm. um, and get your decimal value out of yeah. that. So you might pick up a handgun for the very first time ever, start wielding it, and end up with a point six in it after you first wielded it. Mm-hmm. You know, Now, mind you, that, that gets added after the initial rolls. Roll. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but still, no, I, I kind of like that whole, like, okay, I've got a little experience with it now, you know? And with like we talked about with Shadowrun, it gets very granular, so like... It's not just rifle. There's mm-hmm. assault rifle versus, you know, sniper rifle. And... Uh, versus shotgun versus right. handgun versus submachine gun. Those are all separate skills. Yeah. Uh, and again, you see the Shadowrun influence in it. Mm-hmm. And that you've got um, multiple different skills for everything. And then there's a rule where if you don't have the exact skill, you can use a similar skill at minus two two or something yeah so like at at a minus like if i don't have um what was it if i don't have swimming Mm -hmm. i could still uh take use my athletics yes and and still try it yeah if if i don't have handgun i can still use submachine gun and still try it yeah um and again that's that's a very shadow run thing where you've Mm -hmm. got a skill tree it's implemented and you can kind of like bounce around that skill tree where if you've got an applicable skill, it may not be the exact one, you can still do it at a slight penalty. Right, right. Um and the other the other thing too, and, and this is kind of neat with the decimals, is mm-hmm. that um since you're not dealing with whole numbers, you get very granular with what your um your actual like skill total is you know so i might roll my dice and after adding my proficiencies and modifiers and whatnot i might add up with a 13.7 and the character i'm trying to hit might have a 13.4 defense 
Right. Now, ordinarily, if we were using integers, you know, 13 versus 13, okay, maybe the tie goes to me anyway, but I hit him by 0.3, you know, and you feel that. Mm -hmm. You feel that graze. Mm -hmm. Um. So, I mean, take that for what it is. I I thought that was I thought it was a neat feeling. I'm mm-hmm. not sure that I like it from the standpoint of like, oh, I think this is a good idea. But I see where they're going with it. Yeah. And and it was something that that did kind of make me, you know, go, "Hey, actually that's that's kind of neat." It is. Again, that could that could play out in some interesting ways. I I think for the type of game that it's portraying is is, is interesting and I'll get to that about how the mechanics versus the feel mm-hmm. and and where I think, but I, I think on a straight mechanics base, it feels very much like Shadowrun, yeah. uh, almost second edition Shadowrun more than anything else, where you are rooted in technical, individualized pieces mm-hmm. uh, and, and managing all the, all the points and dots and, and making it feel perf- needing to be perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but at the same time at that granular level, you know who you are. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then you've got underneath those the I think they call them substats, right? Yeah, they're called substats. Or, or derived stats. Um, I, I I call them derived stats uh, because yeah. they're derived from other stats that you've already right, packed. like your health, your exertion. Yeah. So um, I mean, cognitive resistance is the one that I wanted to jump on. Yeah, because I think that's a great concept for this game, mm-hmm. especially because it's it's kind of got a Cthulian edge to it. You you've you've got to be able to have a hardened mind, but it's not just going to be your intelligence. You know, it it has to do more than that. So it's your exertion, your self-control, and Yeah, one of your proficiencies in self-control is a proficiency. Right. Um, and then reasoning modifier is... Uh, we'll, we'll get to reasoning modifier in a second. Actually, as one of those things that I do count as a pro to the system. Mm-hmm. I, I actually really kind of like that. Um, and then, so, like, you've got reverence points, which are kind of like your, like, your edges or your bennies. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, like, just raw sort of you can use you can, them you can use them in defines things yeah um one of the other interesting things too is in the melee multiplier and the projectile multiplier mm-hmm. and i like i mentioned your strength dice and your perception dice will Alternate. Uh, modify those so we'll get into that in 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 the combat section but uh Understand that there is such thing as a multiplier for melee and projectile, and the better you are in strength or perception, um, the more damage you can potentially do with your firearms because it increases fists, the yeah. multiplier mm-hmm. um, to your to your dice. Yep. And then the body type that they put in body type. Now, I thought that that was kind of an interesting mechanic in Seven C uh-huh. that you could have advantages that made you like basically very beautiful or very ugly and that changed the way uh people perceived you and affected you know charisma and social roles yeah they took it to a whole new level in this game yeah so there's there's just a chart and you just choose off of it yeah um you just basically just fill in the dots on it Mm -hmm. uh but you've got appearance body type and reasoning Mm -hmm. and this is like i said that that where that reasoning comes in um for your cognitive resistance Mm -hmm. uh so for appearance it's anywhere from beautiful to average to downright creepy. If you are beautiful, again, you just choose this. You know, mm-hmm. you just, just let, tell me what you are. Um, 
Appearance uh, gives persuasion and leadership buffs mm-hmm. because obviously you're pretty. People want to do what you say. Mm-hmm. Um, but n- n- uh, gives to negatives in- to intimidation and blending in. And blending yeah. in. And I like that. You I like- stand out. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you're average, you can blend in, but yeah, you don't get anything else. You don't get anything, but it's a huge buff, buff to blending yeah. in. Disguise. On the other hand, if you're creepy, you get to intimidate and blend in. But you don't, you're not very good at persuading. Yes. Or yes. leading. So, yeah. Uh, and then you got your body type. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's a, anywhere from big and beefy to small but quick. Um, and it's a straight trade off between an HP bonus and a reaction defense bonus. Yep. So basically, do you want to be harder, smaller and harder to hit but fragile? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to be big, beefy, but, but the size of a brick wall? Yeah. And easy to hit. Yeah. Reasoning. And then reasoning was interesting. <laughs> naive to scientific to straight up nuts yeah <laughs> nuts is actually one of the things in there yeah um and what, what this does is it grants a cognitive resistance bonus which mm-hmm. is basically mental armor mental yep. fortitude um modifies your resist distress your initiative your intuition and possibly even your occult lore because mm-hmm. if you're a little crazy mm-hmm. you might be able to see things in some interesting ways um, feels very Lovecraftian, like you very said. Very much so. Very Lovecraftian. Yeah. I mean, I was able to look at this chart and easily put together all of the different scientists and wackos from all of the movies mm-hmm. and see where all of this fit in. And I went, this is the, between this, th- this section, the appearance, the body type and reasoning are neat things that could be thrown into other games. Oh yeah. 100%. Yeah, I would love to see this in Savage World. I would love to see this in Seventh Sea. You know, systems like that where you have a lot of social and leadership type events going on, um, and yet you still have these values that can be weighed against them. And mm-hmm. you know what people look like and why that has meaning. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So. Uh, so, I mean, but it, all together, though, um, it's, it's definitely a lot. Um, it's a lot uh, more involved, especially with a, 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 when you start to get the substats. Where you're you're deriving so many things, and you've got to cross calculate so many other things, especially if you're new to the system. Um, it really felt to me like uh, it would be very difficult for a steep learning curve for new players. Yeah, especially um, ones who aren't who who have a hard time taking um, abstract ideas without a lot of paper and 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 hard playthrough. Well, for me, it was the fact that so many of these stats are derived from so many things. And so um, just in my, my own assessment of it, I was thinking like, wow, if you didn't know that the importance of the, you know, uh, death resistance, you know, mm-hmm. de- de- death or KO resistance proficiency. Right. Or the uh, uh, awareness reaction proficiency, you know, like if you didn't understand the true value of those things, Mm -hmm. you could really seriously end up like screwing your character over because there's like three or four or five different places you need to look to build a good survivable character in this. But at the same time, it kind of allows you to build a character based upon just a bunch of stats that you're like, yeah, that seems right. And this seems right. So I guess this is who I am now. Yeah, sure. I mean, you can always, you can always throw stats at the board. And I mean, see what sticks. my, my thought is this, it, in the sense of the way the character creation goes, 
it kind of gives you the same feel as TMNT, where if you know all the numbers mm -hmm. and you know all the pieces, you know, Palladium style, you can build an unbelievable murder box. Oh, I got I got huge Palladium vibes for yeah. it. Yeah, or... Huge Palladium vibes. If you just start pulling stuff together, you can come up with some pretty crazy combinations to have, you know, people. Like, just weird people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, absolutely. In, in weird situations, and things happen. Absolutely. So. Uh, all right, so we're going to the combat section here. Oh, Lord. For, for the first note. Oh, boy. Um, Very big Shadowhorn feels for me in this. Yeah. Huge, huge, huge. Uh, all right, so I... Please don't fall asleep. I wrote, I wrote out all this stuff. You shouldn't you know have. what it, it's. I, I I shouldn't have. You really shouldn't um, have. I'm just give you the give you some of the highlights here because uh, a it feels like Shadowrun. It's very it's very super granular. Yes. Um, so thing things you need to know about combat in SCP, the combat turn is two seconds, as opposed to six seconds, which has kind of become the industry standard. I think. Yeah. Um, and so you're moving at a third the pace. Of your your typical D and D combat here, right? Um, so things like I ready my weapon is your action. Mm -hmm. Like that's it. You get two actions per turn. Um, initiative is rolled based off of your intelligence plus your initiative proficiency. Mm -hmm. It's a skill mm -hmm. that you can buy. Um, stays locked in the entire combat, very much like D and D, where mm -hmm. you come back to the top of the order and you do it all over again. Mm -hmm. um, Interestingly enough, the highest initiative actually gets some bonuses, mm -hmm. um, where you get bonus to your defense rolls, um, your react action is free, mm -hmm. uh, and which is basically kind of like holding your action. Um, and then counterattacking is harder versus this character. If I do something and you want to counterattack me over it, um, it's, it's more difficult for you. It costs you, I think, more actions to do so. Gotcha. Uh, because I'm just moving that fast that you can't deal with it. So it 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 for speed's sake mm -hmm. makes fast things exceptionally dangerous. Yes. Um or 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 easy to get out of situations. Uh now one thing that I did take note of uh very much like 7th C, mm -hmm. you have an active defense and a passive defense. Yes. Yes. Um and so we you we've made uh, uh, reference earlier to the reaction defense. Mm -hmm. That is your passive defense. Essentially, yep. if you are not actively trying to dodge, that's your armor class, basically. Effectively, that's, that's the to hit number for you. Right. Um, however, if you take a uh, defense action as one of your actions for the turn, um, you get to roll dexterity plus your dodge block score. Right. And that becomes your new AC. Right. You're new to hit number. Um, the other thing that really kind of struck me, and this is getting real granular here. Yeah, exceptionally. Real granular. If you're talking about the shooting. Stances. Yeah. So there is an action you can take called Ready, Aim, Fire. Um, while you are moving around and you have a weapon out, you're assumed to be hip firing it. Mm -hmm. As in, you're not really, like, your arm is not up, you're not pointing it, but you can still fire it. Right. You know, but hip firing is kind of like if you're you're like bent at the elbow firing from around where your ribs are. Mm -hmm. um, whereas uh, if you take the ready aim fire action, you move from hip firing to ready, which is your arm is up and extended, but you're not braced. Mm -hmm. You know how you see shooters like put their off hand against the pistol to brace it. That's aimed. Mm -hmm. Take that hand away. You've got ready. Pull it down to your side. You've got hip fire. 
Mm-hmm. Every weapon has, every firearm has three values to it. It's hip gotcha. fire, it's ready, and it's aim value. And mm-hmm. you take that bonus or penalty, depending on what it is, depending on what stance you're in. But then also firearms have recoil. Yes. And the recoil, after fired, pulls down your stance. Subtracts itself from your stance. Right. So like an M1911, um, it's a very common forty-five caliber pistol, has a recoil of one. So if I take two actions, that's an entire round, mm-hmm. to ready and then aim my pistol, I don't get to fire it because mm-hmm. I only get two actions around. Next turn, I fire it twice as my actions. Recoil of one takes my first shot from aimed down to ready. Recoil of one takes my next shot from ready down to hip fire. Yep. I then need to spend more actions to to, to aim it again. <laughs> and Overwatch, our resident Shadowrun fan, is in the uh, uh, is in the live chat going, "Why do I like this so much?" <laughs> Because you love granular systems, because my. you love granular systems. You, you've always loved granular systems. Yeah. Um. I it's, it, that's and that's what I thought. I I read it and I was just aghast. Yeah. And then I was like, you know, who would love this? Chris would love this. Chris would absolutely love this. And and there are other play, people I know who would absolutely love this because of the fact that it is granular mm-hmm. and it thinks about all the little things. Uh. So then you got damage. Right. Um. So you're you're gonna have two different damage values on every weapon. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're going to have your base damage and your X damage. Base damage never gets That's modified. Right. You always roll those dice. Right. X damage gets multiplied by your melee or projectile modifier, depending on which it is. Right. So if you're exceptionally strong, your X damage might be one d six plus one. Well, if you're exceptionally strong, you might have a melee multiplier of plus th- of, of times three. That means your base damage is maybe, I don't know, 3d6. Mm-hmm. The X damage is 1d6 1, 1 plus 1 times 3. So that's th- an extra 3d6 plus 3 that you're rolling for a total of 6d6 plus 3. That's crazy. And that's because you're super strong. Yep. Um, perception does the same thing to uh, bullets. Uh, to bullets. Yep. So um, there's a little bit of math involved there, but honestly... I kind of like this. Mm-hmm. Again, it's it's a little, it's it's crunchier than I would like. Way crunchier. Way crunchier than I like. I mean, I'm a huge Savage Worlds fan, so Fast Furious Fun is my uh, is my is my new motto for well, everything. Well, because then right after damage, you also have the whole grazing hit thing, where if you hit at a point three or less, it ignores the X damage, but not the base damage. You always do the base damage, but yeah. you ignore the X damage, right? even if it's monstrous, you know. And then you have death saves that come after that because if it's if you get put into the negative you still have bleed out and then you still have your resistances against bleed out mm-hmm. and then you have your delaying for critical successes yeah so, or stabilizing so your death saves basically you're, you're rolling and this is a, a, a again another one of those proficiencies that if you didn't know existed might screw you in the end mm-hmm. um is resist death slash ko mm-hmm. that's a proficiency mm-hmm. um so you roll fate plus resist death mm-hmm. and uh your difficulty is then the amount you're in the negative so if you're at negative hp uh, negative 15 hp your difficulty for that roll is 15 right um and the funny thing is, if you succeed, like normally in other games, like if you're taking your death saves, you save a certain amount of them, um, you'll stabilize, right? right. Not in this. Mm-mm. If you if you pass that, you take one damage, 
Hence, it raises your difficulty for the next roll, but you live another turn. Right. It's the best you can hope for. Right. Um, and so it's like medical... It, what you're trying to do is hang on until medical intervention gets there. But you can, st- if you have exertion left, you and, can take actions during those phases. And this is one of those things, like I said, I, I cringed my way through reading this system because it's just so far against what I personally like. But holy cow, I love that rule. Agent Coulson. Yeah. You can Agent yeah. Coulson it. I, 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 my, my brain went to Saving Private Ryan. Oh, yeah. That's of, another uh, one. Yep. Uh, uh, was it Tom Hanks at the mm-hmm. end of the movie where he's, he's firing his pistol? At the he's, tank. He's completely shell-shocked. Like, his ears are ringing. He doesn't know what the hell's going on. He just pulls out his pistol and just starts firing it at the tank. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he was, he was, he was practically dead. Yeah. You know? Or he would have been, anyways. Yeah, he would have very much then. But... Now, what gets me about all of that is what happens just before combat. Combat is a very specific thing. Mm-hmm. Once you're in combat, initiative, damage, all that stuff goes into play. But if you are literally just before combat, maybe you're you're in a conversational scene. Mm-hmm. You're all in a boardroom on like the 26th floor, and there's conversations going on, and then a sniper bullet comes through the window. And the executive's the person, head explodes. That person dies. Why? Because it happened. Mm-hmm. It did not happen in combat. It just happened. And that's the difference. Now, the moment that that bullet flies, now you're in combat. Now things are happening. Now there's... But that's the whole point of it, is that you can have these, quote-unquote, uh, attack actions or... Or combat actions that happen before the combat round starts. Yeah. That are part of the story. Mm-hmm. And just happen. They There's there's no assumption of that they fit into any of the combat mechanics. And it's explicitly stated that way in the rules. So that things like the guy gets pulled through the wall after something bursts, you know, out of the wall and stabs him through the chest. Yep. Oh, okay. Okay. So he's dead, and now we're in combat. Yeah, now we're in combat, yeah. and you're all watching this guy literally get pulled through the wall. And you're yes. like, okay, an alien just pulled him through the wall. Great. Yes. You know. An and, SCP. Yes. 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 Um, I'm not even going to get into mutilations. That's It's ridiculous that there's actually a card and roll for mutilations in this game. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's I think that's probably the last thing to mention here is that there are, there are two optional card decks... Yeah. Um. There are QR codes actually in the uh, the the rule book um, that will link you to the drive through RPG page. Yes. To purchase them as peripherals, they are optional rules. One of them, um, <laughs> uh, one of them can be. Uh, uh, I think one's one's the drama deck. Yeah. One of, one of them can be rolled. The mutilations can just be rolled. rolled but um, the drama deck, you literally, it's referenced in the book, but they they barely tell you what it is. Yeah, and I guess it, it works a little bit like the Savage Worlds Adventure deck if you're yeah. if if you if you know about that, where it's kind of got like special plot complications, and the yeah. players are able to kind of have a small hand of these and introduce them into the game as they see fit. Yeah. Um, just to kind of add a sort of randomness and give the players a little bit of agency over how the story's going. All right, I'll frankly say that I was drinking and enjoying that conversation and did not stop after 15 minutes. <laughs> You're correct. You did but not. I think we did pretty good. I think we, we got through the meat and potatoes of the mechanics, but the real question is, how does this game weigh out? Right, right. Uh, so what do you think it does well? I think it's. I think if we look at the mechanics, it is crunchy, 
as much as Shadowrun is crunchy. Mm-hmm. Um, and literally the book drips from the crunch. Like, they're, without a doubt, he hit the ground running with, I'm going to tell you how all these actions work. I'm not going to bury it in pages. I'm not going to, you know, fluff it by try- by explaining this ability gives you this thing, and you need to go to this page to read about this to handle how to grapple, mm-hmm. you know, with these 26 rules. No, no, no. Grappling is really outlined right here, very specifically. This is when you do it in combat. Yes. You know, kind of a thing. And I think that was done exceptionally well. So... When you're looking for a rule or an understanding, it is very explicit and very easy to find. Yep, yep. Uh, I I thought the dice system was very interesting in it. Okay. Um, uh, I think roll and keep systems aren't terribly common, mm-hmm. uh, and so I'm I was, I'm always a little bit delighted when I see one. Um, and uh, it's definitely a unique take on the typical attribute system. Um, typically, you know, we we just we jot a number down, and that number just represents everything. But um, the idea that it that it's it's not even a number; it's a dice pool. Mm-hmm. And you know, purchasing the dice on kind of a grid, and each one of those grid squares gives you a little something, depending on, uh, or maybe a lot of something, depending on the die you're purchasing. Um, w- was very interesting to me. I, I I'm not sure again if I quite like it. But it's it's it, I will give it points for being intuitive or for for being uh, um, inventive, and uh, definitely giving us a fresh look at what attributes could be. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree that it it gives it gives some points. And for those who are who are listening, it, uh, it our our stream may have just came back, um, so uh, be be prepared for catch up or lag. Um, so yeah, I, I do think it's an interesting. I just watched it up there. There was a okay. stream issue. Um, but I, I do think that was interesting is and the level system that they did in it where it's not classed, it's not leveled, it's progression based. So yeah. it's it fits in that same kind of d- design. So it, it you never just go from zero to God in one game. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Um, the other thing that's kind of part of that is that, that there are a lot of DM assists in it. There's a whole section that basically is a game, a whole game session written out all the verbal mm-hmm. that happens between the players, the characters, even the side conversations, the, the side is, conversations, yeah. everything, and it goes through an entire couple scenes, which is fantastic, all the way to the end. Um, so it paints a very vivid picture of how to play the game, yeah, and, and the feel yeah. of the game that it's trying to put out. Uh, and especially like when you when you get to the back of the book, um, and it's got a bunch of suggested SCPs in there. Oh God, yeah, um, and it doesn't have like the full SCP articles, but actually, uh, each one has a QR code that Which you can you go can right to. Go right to the actual SCP. I page think that for is it. one of the beautiful things about the game is there's QR codes throughout the whole thing that yes. point right back to the wiki. Yes. So, uh, and um, uh, each one of those SCPs actually has a director's section in there mm-hmm. to tell you. Be like really super cautious if you use this SCP. Don't throw this in there willy nilly. And if you do, you may want to play it like this. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it just wipes the group. Right. You know? Right. Like this thing's this thing's trick is it one shot kills people. Right. You know. So if you're trying to tell this type of story, like don't have them fight it. Right. You know. But you can use it like this. Right. Um. What doesn't this system do well? Ah. Uh, okay. So. Sean and I actually had a really long conversation about this at dinner last night. Uh, you keep going. I'm going to pause so that we can extend the show, but keep going. Okay. Uh, and I, I think I think what we came down to is that um, a lot of the game systems that you and I have reviewed, a lot of the game systems that we've we've looked over or even played during our time, um, all have a particular feel to them. Uh, they all 
they all kind of gear themselves towards a particular type of game. Right. And I don't think SCP has that. It feels, for for all of its bang and all of its bluster and all of its detail, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like anything. You know, it feels it feels very simulationist in nature. Right, and I was going to um, say that in that it's it's got the very granular, gritty detail to every action you take, mm-hmm. with, with with an eye in the advancement and the eye in the gameplay, the combat especially. Um, but I couldn't tell you what the what what the game feels like. So I, I didn't think it felt like a creepy government conspiracy game. To me, it feels like an aliens adventure game Mm -hmm. or alien adventure game depending on you know which movie you liked more um where it is very gritty it is very it is very much a um mechanics based game um and to me that felt odd for something that is in 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 essence global storytelling Mm -hmm. so you're you're taking something that started as this this very creative very open-ended, very um, accepting of 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 editing and narrative, and giving it fixed hard walls and numbers and a metric system and a slide rule yeah. to to play. Yeah, and that was like, wow. Like in one aspect, I'm like, that does not make sense to me. Yeah, like this should be played with. With the fate system, Savage Worlds, or I thought, or, yeah, like... or or something something exceptionally basic. Mm-hmm. Like I could see someone doing this with the Jenga Tower. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. You you could have simplified the whole thing, but at the same time, it wouldn't have had the XCOM feel. It wouldn't have had that us against the thing. Mm-hmm. But when the thing isn't. Lovecraftian horror that needs to be taken care of by top men. The game system kind of feels way over the top. Yeah, and that, that was that was kind of the thing. Is like, I I I know like everyone everyone goes to the idea of you know black ops soldiers armed to the teeth to go bring in the scary monster. Sure, but like I was reading you an SCP at dinner. Mm-hmm. And it was literally just an object that if you try to write about it or talk about it, you make at least one typo per sentence. Yeah. It's unavoidable. It always happens. But does that make a good story? Well, it may, may be. I mean, like, that that thing in and of itself? No. Right. But my point is, is that not all SCPs are dangerous, scary monsters. No. Okay. In fact, quite a few of them aren't. I would say the greater majority of them aren't. Right. There, I'm. There are. There are absolutely a great number of scary monsters in there, but mm-hmm. not like. I mean, there, there's also I am a toaster. There's my my absolute favorite one, and all it is is just a toaster that makes that as long as you're around it, you refer to it in the first person. Yeah. You always say I am a toaster. Right. What's What's that thing sitting on the uh, on the table? Oh, that. That's me. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a toaster. Right. Um, I'm sitting on the table. Yeah, it's it's hard to understand, but like, but but, but I get... the longer you stay around it, the more you try to emulate a toaster. Right. To the point of like eating bread and trying to lick a wall socket, you know, because you but need that's to be plugged hard in. for players to follow. It is. But... So here's my thought. But here's the thing, though. Okay. Okay. Is that you ever see the old show Warehouse Thirteen? Oh yeah. Okay. 
that's the style I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Where you've got all these crazy things around you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sometimes those crazy things are helpful to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get arm here. You get an assault rifle. Here, you get a submachine gun. Here, you get the zap gun. What's the zap gun? Oh, it's SCP-474. We found this out on the, uh, right. you know, the, some some, you know, give them a little backstory. Uh, we don't know how it works, but you point it at something. There's a big burst of static, and then it's gone. Okay, where does it go? I don't know. We haven't figured it out. Yep. Here's the file for it if you want to read about it, though. Yeah. And try to figure it out. Maybe you can do some field research. But we've determined it's more or less safe unless you point it at something and pull the trigger. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but And then you've got, like, uh, there's one of the SCPs was is literally just a Little Caesars hot and ready pizza box. Mm-hmm. And if you hold it and you open it, it always has your favorite pizza in there. Okay. Even if you don't know what your favorite pizza is. Even it if you're does. indecisive. It knows. Whatever that pizza is, is going to be the most delicious pizza you've ever tasted. And it works for everything. Like, they literally st- – there's this is one of those great, great SCPs where they start giving it to other SCPs. Mm-hmm. And so you get some cross-reference in the SCP thing where it's like, yeah, we gave it to SCP-123. Um, and it opened it up and it was a plain cheese pizza. SCP-123 was very thankful for this as he had not had a cheese pizza in a while. We gave it to SCP-4224. Uh, it was – Covered in blood and eyeballs, it was devoured in seconds. It, they literally just keep this thing in the break room. Yeah. It's perfectly safe, mm-hmm. and it cuts down on costs Cost. for food, for right. catering. Right. You know? But and it's I, an SCP. But my thought is is that you also have the other thing, which is X-Files, where yeah. the stories were less, I wouldn't say less about the paranormal, but more about the things wrapped around the paranormal. The idea that you had a a full moon night where people were afraid of fear, mm-hmm. and that drove all kinds of events to occur. Yeah, you know, you know, someone's looking for a you know trying to find a chupacabra, but the story isn't about the chupacabra; it's about people crossing the border, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it just happens that the border patrol people keep you know, finding mutilations and thinking it's the border, the people crossing the border killing people. And so they're, they're wanting to make it more and more dangerous for them to cross the border. And that's not the problem. Yeah. You know, and come to find out there's, you know, they have to explain it away as a, a a pack of wild dogs that have been, that were mutated by, you know, nuclear explosives from the sixties, you know, from the, uh, the forties and fifties that had been tested in Mm -hmm, the area, mm -hmm. you know, when in fact it was chupacabra, you right, know, right, and those have now been contained. So, but the story goes beyond the object, and I, I, I think that's the key: mm-hmm. is that you can tell stories beyond the black ops side of things with this. But the game gives you that ability to do that. You, you could one hundred percent play, um, any type of game within this system, but it gives you the flexibility of having heavy combat when you want it yes yes you know, heavy finite chunky crunchy combat now one, one of the other things that i think is, is a great storytelling avenue for a game like this too is um I, I mentioned that there are other organizations out there like you said like the church of the broken god and stuff like that oh yeah 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 um in the scp universe so i think whereas this game positions you as a member of the scp society um or the scp foundation um 
I, I would actually say more so than interacting with SCPs, I would love to see a great little shadow war going on mm-hmm. between the SCP Foundation and one or more of these outside organizations, possibly ones from outside of our reality. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so there's there's a lot of there's a lot of wiggle. There was there. a restaurant chain that's multidimensional that they reference. Oh yeah, yeah. That was uh, that's uh, that's being affected by other groups, but effectively it's it's just a restaurant that's in multiple dimensions. Oh, okay, cool. Simultaneously, yeah. so and and they, they don't they're not positive nor negative, but they're there and reliable. Yeah, <laughs> and reliable, <laughs> and and the burgers are decent. Yeah, yeah, kind of thing. So. <laughs> All right, we do have a couple questions, and I think they're really good, and I'd like to get those in before we close it up for the night. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Knox asks, um, say what you will about creepypasta, but I think it's cool that we live in an age where inspiration, wherever it comes from, can be found and transformed into group activities that strengthens bonds and celebrates and promotes even more inspires. What are some notable tabletop RPGs that sprung forth from unlikely places? Do you have a favorite origin for a game? Um, I had to really think about this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'm not sure I have a really great satisfactory answer. I would love to just spin a yarn about some great, you know, game that popped up from some weird-ass idea and got transmitted through a bunch of other people and then finally became the shining example of role-playing that it is nowadays, but I don't. Most games I know of were designed to be games, mm-hmm. designed by game designers mm-hmm. for a specific purpose to tell a specific type of story. Um, and that's not really the great little tale of, I think, telephone that you're looking for. Um, the best I can come up with mm-hmm. is that both Dungeons & Dragons and Savage Worlds, way back in their infancy, started out as miniatures, uh, miniatures tabletop games. Yep. Um, Dungeons and Dragons back in its infancy was a little game called Chainmail, mm-hmm. and uh, Savage Worlds was a uh, skirmish rule of skirmish warfare rule set for the Deadlands setting. Yep. And in both of those instances, people looked at those and went, "What if this were more? Yeah. What if? What? What's the story behind this character? How can I tell the story behind this character?" Mm-hmm. You know, can we create some downtime rules for them? Can we create some other weird interaction rules for them? What if they had more skills than just shooting each other? Yeah. Um, and they, uh, through that process, grew up into what we know them to be today. I have Full two. Full-fledged role-playing games. One's a reverse to the other. So, okay. in one case, I love the birth story of Vampire the Masquerade. I love that it was basically a bunch of guys mm-hmm. who wrote games on their way to a convention and someone just in the car said, who the hell would live in a place like this? As they're driving through the skirts of Chicago, um, basically Gary, Indiana, which was is old industrial. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of rundown there. Real there's a lot of old stuff. Yeah. yeah, old buildings, rundown stuff. And one of them just goes, vampires. Modern day vampires would live here. Mm-hmm. And it all the creativity that flowed out of that moment. Yeah. And over the next 48 hours to create vampire, the core of Vampire the Masquerade. It was just pure creativity Mm -hmm. pouring um, from a very simple question and, and start point. Um, In the opposite of that, where you have a game and players and an in-depth story and this amazing world that the players put together and these deep relationships and, and, and it expanded into the expanse, the TV show. Oh yeah, 
Yeah. And that's the reverse yeah, that the comes re- out of it. I, we, I think we, the, we can't tell you about a role-playing game that, that, that started as a, as, as a TV show, but we can't tell you about a TV show, show that started <laughs> as a role-playing game. So, but, I, but that's where the, I think that kind of creative juices become really neat. As far as I remember, too, the Elder Scrolls uh, actually came from a D&D game that was going hmm. on between some of the de- de- Bethesda developers. That totally makes sense. I'm pretty sure that's where Tamriel originated. That totally makes sense. Yeah, but I mean, it's those kinds of things that I've heard of mm-hmm. that I that or the stories that I know. I know there are other stories out there, and I know there's a lot of um, smaller games, uh, more indie games that don't get. Um, and I say smaller in the sense that they're indie. There's probably still thousands and thousands of people who play them. Sure. Um, that really love them because they started from that kind of a small wonder following. Mm-hmm. And became something unbelievable in the end. Yeah. Um. And I love that. I love that kind of stuff. So. So yeah, I would say Vampire the Masquerade is my favorite creative game that mm-hmm. came from a very simple origin. Yeah. Right on. So. All right. So uh, Overwatch asks: um, Is there an object or artifact from a different setting or mythos that comes to mind as a great centerpiece for an SCP-themed campaign, and why that one? So a non-SCP thing that you think should be an SCP, basically, and would make a great centerpiece for a game. Hmm. Hmm. So in 7th C, um, they had a really simplistic um, artifact that -hmm. was from an ancient culture. And basically it was um, these silver orbs. Um, they, they, it was a, they weren't metallic, they weren't ceramic, but they were basically just like ball bearings. Mm -hmm. Um, not a lot of like the etching on them was very fine. You had to stare at it under a certain light to even be able to see it. Um, but if you just held it in your hand, it just felt slightly warm, like, like it had been sitting in the sun, not hot, Sure, you know, um, and it, it wouldn't like, you know, snow could still fall and it wouldn't melt it or anything like that, but you could feel there was a little warmth there. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if you set it down on any surface anywhere and just tapped it once, it would start rolling with force, even uphill mm-hmm. or, and, and stop at a solid object. It would try and figure a way around the solid object to keep moving in a direction Mm -hmm. because it was trying to get to the other orb it was tied to. Yep. And unless you knew that you didn't know where it was going. I think we had those in your game. You did. You uh, did. We were using them to find what my, my ex-boyfriend helmet. Correct. Because you snuck one in his pocket. Yeah. (laughs) And And then that jerk used it as like the linchpin for a Gatling gun or something like that. Some sort of a weird ass invention that he made. Correct. Correct. He, he, he he found that it was the right size for an operational part. (sighs) Uh, and, uh, didn't realize that it, uh, that it was tied to something else. Uh, but that kind of a thing, and the fact that it's such a simple object, a simple indestructible object at that, yeah, yeah, um, that it it could be oddly misunderstood, mm-hmm. very easily through experimentation, you know, yeah, and yeah. that you know it's not dangerous or anything, but it tends to want to go in one direction, and sometimes that direction changes, and we don't know why. 
Right, right. You know, and it's because the other orb is moving between handlers who are doing the exact same thing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they move it all over the world, and the other people are moving it all over the world to try and figure out what it's doing. Yeah. And in the end, you know, no one ever comes of it. So I think that would be fun. I think that would be a kind of a fun thing. Uh, I, I thought a little bit about this. I'm, I'm sure this is probably isn't the best answer I could give, but um, there is a... Uh... Uh, I'm a fan of an old Bungie, uh, Bungie software series, uh, way back even before Halo and stuff like that, called uh, Myth of the Fallen Lords. Yes. And uh, there was an artifact in there called the Tain, um, and it was basically looked like a like a big D8, about the okay. size of a lamp. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was a pocket dimension. Mm-hmm. There was these awful, we'll just call them werewolf-like things. Sure. Um, that's their, their closest analog, was just sure. basically werewolves. Um, called the Mercridia, mm-hmm. and uh, they during the one of the, this, this war they were just awful and basically ran across the countryside and destroyed everything they touched. And so somebody created the Tain, and it's this pocket dimension. It basically just locked them all away. Mm-hmm. Like we couldn't get rid of them, but we could remove them from the world. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and in one of the other stories, uh, and then of course this this thing gets lost. You know, often some, you know, uh, annals of time and uh, this evil wizard got himself put inside of it and started essentially gating the Mercridia back out of it. Oh, Lord. And just working from the inside. So, like, if you wanted to stop this guy, you had to go in there to get him. Oh. Uh, and so that's kind of what you end up having to do. And I just I thought the Tain was very cool and that it was just this very simple little thing that held an entire extra dimension filled with awful monsters in it. Mm-hmm. And was a just a tiny little prison you could carry in your backpack. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I've, I think there's a lot of neat things that other people have created in other games, mm-hmm. um, or explained that would make would definitely be SCPs without question. Oh, absolutely. Uh, because they'd be completely horribly misunderstood. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um. So. I think that does it for our questions and such. Of that you got mm-hmm. any final thoughts on uh, SCP, the role playing game? I think people should, if you're interested in creative writing and you want some stuff, or or maybe you're you're running a game that's modern day or even futuristic, and you need something weird, go randomly search through the SCP archives. Set a timer <laughs> so you don't get lost for days in there. But go to the SCP site, uh, click on a few of the links, and. Uh, just read through some of them because some of them, especially the curated ones uh, that are considered canon, um, are really good and they're really well done. And I applaud the authors who wrote those um, and took the time uh, and the people who keep it going. I think it's wonderful. So I would say go and look because I think you can have a lot of fun reading through some of these very, very creative ideas. Um, some that are very creepy, but some that are just neat. And fun to to read up on, and I, I I would encourage people to do that. I think you could you can really enjoy yourself. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right. So uh, next week's topic, uh, we're going to be talking about why tone matters. Ooh, tone. Yes. Um. Tone. So it's going to be a, maybe a little little esoteric because it's not something. It's uh, quite a uh, 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 you know a stat that you can talk about, but um, just the, the 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 general tone or feel of a game and why that matters. Yeah, we. Uh... We kind of got into an idea of talking about this with Seth, and uh, I was really hoping to get him back on the show for this one. Yeah, and it was, we kind of we kind of talked about it a little bit tonight. We're just you know where SCP doesn't feel like anything. Right. At least the rules don't. You know, and, and that's kind of what we're talking about. Is that is that is that that tone that feel? You know. Yeah. Yeah. So like 
whether you're not you're 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 go- falling into the Cthulian mythos or or it's about the mystery or it's about the people and the mystery sits at the fringes of it if you will uh and just becomes kind of the background window dressing but in any case yep all right you can find us up on twitter at st underscore conclave on instagram at st underscore conclave listen to us live every wednesday night 7 p.m eastern time up on mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave and uh, join us up on our discord we'd love to hear you uh you know, hear from you join the discussion talk to the other storytellers there and uh drop some questions for the show uh, you can find that link on our Twitter at uh, or at our website, StorytellerConclave.com. We'd like to thank our pant- Patreon-named members, Knox in the Box, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion Veteran, and Hulavu. We really appreciate everything you do and help us every time we put one of these things together. Our pre-show music was by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at Patreon.com slash Arcane Anthems. Our intro music, which was Beyond the Warriors, is by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music, which you're hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Mater Machine. You can find that in, at freemusicarchive.org. Big shout-out, as always, to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for Thank loving you. and supporting us. All of our friends who sat with us at our tables over the years and given us these great stories and experience to share with you. And you, every single one of our listeners, we love you so much. Love you. Thank you. Good night. Good night.